Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable, too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Everybody, welcome to another new episode of Undying Light. I'm your host, Pastor Alex, and it is Friday, so that means we are continuing our journey in the Gospel of Matthew for the foreseeable future. We are closing in on the end, and so I'm pretty excited for that. Uh, we got a lot of really good chapters coming up and some really good material to cover, so I'm very, very excited for that. We have the Sacrament Institutions coming in chapter 26 and 28, and Obviously, the uh, rest and persecution and uh, death and resurrection of Jesus Christ over the course of chapters 27 and 28. So I'm very excited for all of that material. But until we get to that, we still have some good teaching material between the end of 22 and you know 26 or so. Uh, so we've got some, some few days left here. We are in Holy Week, and we are continuing this last few days in the life of Christ in his earthly ministry. And this week we are about halfway, well, not quite halfway. We'll be halfway when we're done with today's lesson. We're going to look at paying taxes to Caesar and potentially might look at the Sadducees ask about the resurrection. Uh, if we collect all of that, we'll take us to verse 33. Uh, and then next week we could hit the great commandment and whose son is the Christ which would finish us off. So then we would be well over halfway. Uh, so that's kind of the goal. Uh, they're pretty short uh, sections. You know, the paying taxes is 15 through 22, but some good language to be on uh, to be unpacked there. And then 23 through 33. So uh, seven verses and 10 verses, relatively short sections here. Uh, in fact, all four of these in the remainder of the chapter are relatively short in themselves. So uh, we should be able to get through this and work into the uh, the seven woes to the scribes and Pharisees of chapter 23 in just a few weeks. So that'll be a really good section. I'm very excited for that one. And if you haven't yet, I would advise you to check out our Wednesday's episode now. We are going to drop those uh, on social media. The dangers and problems that it has caused from a plethora of views, not just theological, but uh, also social and uh, mental as well. We're going to talk about how social media can be addicting 
and the problems that come with it, the depression issues, the suicidal issues, the bullying issues, uh, all of these things have come around heavily since social media has become kind of the forefront of everybody's lifestyle. And we're going to talk about it, but also placing a major focus on the issues that it has caused the church. So that will be kind of the premise, the foundational piece to uh, that show. And then obviously we'll work through the various platforms and talk about all of those wonderful teachings that we can find out there. And by wonderful, I mean heretical. So today we're going to tackle Matthew 22. And uh, again, if you're following along, we've covered all of the previous chapters. And so you can go back and listen to those if you would like. And uh, I hope you get to enjoy that and you know the journey through the through the Bible in of itself, and we're going to, um, you know, kind of bounce around, you know, just so we keep things fresh, and we're not just working through it in a particular order, but uh, we will uh, eventually get through all 66 books. So uh, let us begin and stop wasting time. Here is verse 15 of chapter 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought to him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and give to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Now I'm going to go ahead and read the next section, just so we have it on the books here. Uh, Verse 23, the Sadducees ask about the resurrection. The same day the Sadducees came to him, who say that there is no resurrection, And they asked him this question, saying, Teacher, Moses said if a man dies having no children, his brother must marry the widow and raise up his offspring for his brother. Now there are seven brothers among us. The first married and died, and having no offspring, left his wife to his brother. So too the second and third, and down to the seventh, and after them all, the woman died. In the resurrection, therefore, of the seven, whose wife will she be? For they all had her. But then Jesus answered them, you are wrong because you know neither the scriptures nor the power of God for in the resurrection, they will neither marry nor be given in marriage, but are like angels in heaven. And as for the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not a God of the dead, but of the living. And when the crowd heard it, they were astonished at his teaching. So there you go. That is the two hacks that we're going to work with today. And uh, some interesting things to really say about these last few verses in uh, the, the second section here, uh, specifically verses 32 uh, and 31, mostly on, on that. So we'll get to that in a moment. Let's get back to the paying taxes to Caesar. Uh, very quickly introducing the text, the Pharisees tried to entangle him once again. Uh, they tried to set a trap, which means that there's going to be some sort of trick question that's going to come. And they uh, have done this before. They try to trip up Jesus, and obviously it doesn't work, for Jesus is obviously smarter than they are. So he 
Uh, they come to him with the with his disciples. So the, the Pharisees sent disciples that they had. Uh, just as Jesus has disciples, so do other famous religious figures. Uh, John the Baptist had them. And in this case, the Pharisees had them. And this isn't an uncommon thing in this time period that you have disciples, people who are learning the ways of those religious leaders. And Jesus had his disciples obviously learning the ways that the Pharisees should have known, but yet rejected. So the Herodians, uh, an interesting little group. I want to kind of discuss them just momentarily. I want to grab a quick article on them. Uh, they are a dynasty of Herod the Great and his political supporters. They are descendants of Herod that ruled the region of Israel on behalf of the Romans. So that's who the Herodians are. So just make sure you have that you know, in the back of your mind. Not that it's exceptionally important for the text, but it helps to separate uh, these people. So you have religious disciples and then you have some political uh, people who come with him. Both have kind of the agenda, if you would, because with the, uh, the disciples of the Pharisees, their agenda obviously is to come and try and trap Jesus with the question on tithing or paying taxes. And the Herodians come because it's a political situation when it comes to paying taxes and who should the church or these individuals in the you know groups that are following Jesus, who should or should they pay taxes? And so both groups go and try and confront Jesus in this little trap that they obviously fail to uh, spring upon Christ because he obviously knows better than they do. So these two individuals go in, they present the question, you know, and they kind of butter him up, really. They're like, teacher, we know that you are true and you teach the way of God and, you know, pat his back. And, you know, so like it just kind of reads just really funny. Verse 16, it's just like it's almost sarcastic, really, if you if you really want to try and think about it in that light, because they are trying to do something malicious and they um, really have poor and ill intent. And so it is more of a buttering uh, up and a more sarcastic tone. And so they present the question, tell us, since you're so truthful, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, obviously aware of their malice intent, calls them hypocrites. And we've talked about that a number of times on the show. And it's just a very common term that Jesus uh, assigns to these Pharisees and these scribes, and obviously here in this case, the Herodians now. And he says, so give me a coin. So the coins that were minted by Rome for paying this tax had the image of Tiberius Caesar and identified him as the quote unquote, the son of the divine Augustus. Ironically, this question was to was presented to Jesus being the son of God. The fact that they even possessed this coin tactically acknowledged Caesar's rule. So the disciples of the Pharisees have a coin and they present it to Christ. And, and it's just really, for me, when I read a text like this, kind of shows their, their evil intent, right? So the text even states Jesus knows their malice. And I think it really states where their allegiance lies. They are perfectly content with Rome, even though they sought a Messiah to liberate them from Rome. They were perfectly content with Rome. And in fact, that they were so infatuated with the Roman rule that they sought the Romans to be the ones to put Christ to death here in a few days. And so they they have this malicious intent. 
they presented this coin, essentially showing that their allegiance is already to uh, Tiberius Caesar, and they present it to Christ, the Son of God. And interestingly enough, the Romans see Caesar as being the, the son of the divine, right? So, and this is how the emperors were really presented in that time period, is that they had some sort of divinity about them. They were divinely called or divinely beings themselves. And so he says, you know, he calls them the hypocrites and he asks them, you know, whose likeness here is shown on the coin. And they say, well, it's Caesar's. And so Jesus here is distinguishing the two realms. This is the civil and the heavenly under which all believers live. Though the first allegiance is always to God as Acts 529 state, we are also bound to obey a legitimate civil authorities that God has established as Paul writes in Romans 13. Luther says this, it is the duty and obligation of those who participate in this earthly regimen to administer law and punishment, to maintain the distinctions that God or that exist among ranks and persons to manage and distribute property. But the gospel does not trouble itself with these matters. It teaches about the right relationship in, of the heart to God. So I made a statement, and this is kind of going off the uh, beaten path a little bit, but I made a, a statement in my sermon on Sunday, and I said you know, because I had taken some questions from the congregation and one of them was really heavy in the law and I made a statement about it and I said, these questions reside themselves in the law and they reside themselves in a matter of how one uh, should live or should be distinguished in living. Not that they aren't good questions because they certainly are and they help us to distinguish between you know, what does the gospel say or what does the law say and what does the Bible say that is right or wrong? Uh, it helps us to do that. And this is how we would read a passage like this. If we see a passage that is, you know, riddled with the law because it's talking about paying taxes and it's talking about how we should be obedient to the civil uh, and governmental authorities that have been placed over us, then this is just a manner of what we should do. Um, this is kind of one I think where a lot of people can get tripped up, though. It's not that Jesus is saying you should give everything you have to Caesar because it all belongs to Caesar, and that's not the case. It's render to Caesar what is therefore Caesar's. It is give to him the taxes that are owed. If you owe him taxes, pay your taxes. If you owe him something else, then pay him or devote yourself or commit to yourself whatever it is that you owe. Uh, if you work for the government, then do your job. If you do contract work for the government or contract work for anybody, do do the work for that organization and pay to whomever. If you have employees underneath you and they do work for you, then you pay to them what is owed to them. It's, I don't read this passage and I, and I would hope nobody should read this passage as it means by you should give everything away because everything else belongs to somebody else. And I think that's a really poor way to imply, um, you know, th this passage and it is certainly not a passage that would advocate for uh, the support or, uh, denial, if you would, of taxes, because taxes are needed in many situations to help the country further better itself and to defend itself and to provide services for its citizens. 
And, you know, here in the United States, we bicker and argue over higher taxes. And yet we seem to be taxed on every level from sales tax to income tax to property tax to uh, food tax to clothing tax to this tax and that tax. When we started a civil war, or started a revolution war, revolutionary war over paying taxes and formed our own country in opposition to paying taxes. And now we are taxed to the gills. And the question really can come is, do we have to pay all of our money to the government? Because if the, if the government's the one printing the money, it's not technically our money. Well, if you earn something and you work for it, then it is your money. And if the government is going to lay claim to some of that money before it reaches your pocket, then pay to the government what is owed to the government. Another good way to look at a passage like this is not to be tied up in the possessions of earth. Don't dwell and in the pursuit of financial gain because you will have it stripped away from you. When you die, you can't take it with you. And and I like this, I forgot where I heard it, but this, this phrase kind of keeps coming up over and over again. You will work your whole life acquiring stuff, books, movies, computers, technology, clothes, a home, a car, all this stuff you will, and money, you'll have savings you'll work your whole life to acquire stuff because that's all it is it's inanimate objects money's an inanimate object technology is inanimate objects books are inanimate objects as much as i love them they're just stuff and you'll work your whole life acquiring said stuff and then you die and then somebody else gets all of that stuff for free or many people get it because you're dispersant amongst many but other people will take your stuff and never had to work a day in a life to earn it. It's just given to them. So that's the value of stuff. It's good to have clothes. It's good to have books. It's okay to have technology. It's okay to have money in a savings account. It's okay to be prepared for tomorrow. But we have to realize that it is merely all stuff. And the greater premise to the passage isn't about that stuff or acquiring stuff or who does it belong to, but the greater context of this passage is rendering to God what is in fact God's. It is you you belong to God. If you are baptized into Christ, you are an heir to the eternal kingdom and therefore you render your heart to God. So Jesus's followers owe loyalty and obedience, not only to him, but also to the human rulers that God himself has established. Though Christians may be tempted to avoid paying taxes and skirt from civic duties, they must render to Caesar. Civil authority and good government leaders are beneficial, uh, are beneficial means thereby God blesses us. So that's a really a good summary of this passage. We are to render to God what is God's, that being our obedience and our love and our hearts, and render to Caesar's what is Caesar's, and that means serving. If it means doing your civic duties, whether it's on jury duty or serving in the military or whatever, render to Caesar what is Caesar's. And I don't see how this passage, or really I can, uh, but it would be a poor misuse of it, would be to state that you have to give everything away because everything belongs to Caesar. You know, give away all your money and everything. So that's not what we want this to be, right? We don't want you to have to go and do all this. It's the same thing when you have those passages that talk about you know, selling all your possessions and giving it to the church and whatnot. You don't have to sell. There are certain contexts and uh, ways that we can apply that. So let's move on to this last uh, portion here because, you know, I don't want uh, the time to be really 
get away from us here, and it's, we're getting close to that 20-minute mark. Let's move on. We've already read verses 23 to the end, so let us jump down there so that now we got uh, the Sadducees, right? They come to him. They say that there is no resurrection, and then they ask him this question, and they said, Moses says the uh, Sadducees held to only the first five books of Moses to be authoritative. That would be the Torah, the book of the law. Uh, and accordingly, they chose to a, a Masonic, a Mosaic passage, excuse me, Deuteronomy 25, verses 5 through 6, which read this, if brothers dwell together, and so on and so forth, about dies. So they kind of recite it here, right, in the following passage, if a man dies having no children, and as the rest of the verses kind of lay out the rest of those passages. So as the basis uh, for this hypothetical question. So they use this passage, Deuteronomy 25, to present this, you know, random hypothetical question to Jesus. And they then they go on in verse 27. After all, the woman dies, and in the resurrection, therefore, all seven, whose wife will she be? So if she's been a partner to each of them, and they've all died, and they've all kind of followed the same pattern and followed the Mosaic law, who then will she belong to? Well, Jesus answers them here in verse 29. Jesus immediately exposes the hypocrisy. They ask such a thing because they fail to believe in God's power to raise the dead. And really what they're doing is they're asking such a far-fetched question that the Sadducees, in fact, are trying to mock the belief in the resurrection. It's just so, it, it just wouldn't happen, right? Seven brothers all dying in order and then the wife, who is a widow to the very first, makes it all the way down to the bottom, and then she dies, right? That just doesn't, just not going to happen. It's a really a terrible hypothetical question, and Jesus obviously, in verse 29, exposes it very much like he does when talking about taxes. So he exposes it, and he goes on in verse 30, Jesus' point is that earthly marriages are no longer binding once the partner dies. Paul makes that a statement clear in Romans 7. Uh, they become like angels. They're not becoming angels. It's kind of a, a verse I think is well used um, to defend like that guardian angel type thing or, you know, he's got his angel wings now. No, they don't become angels. They become like angels in that they have the they have eternal life. Believers do not become angels after death. This is merely a comparison. Where do angels dwell in heaven with God? Where will believers dwell when they die in heaven then the new heavens and the new earth with the angels and God. So that, you know, they'll have that comparison or they'll have that uh, the joint residence, if you would, upon death. And so very much like the thief on the cross that Jesus says, today you'll be with me in paradise. When we die, we will be in paradise with Christ until the resurrection. Then we get our, our resurrected bodies and can live in the new heavens and new earth. So wonderful promises rooted in scripture. So you don't become angels, you become like angels. And that's the very, that's an important word here in verse 30. Like is a descriptive word. It's a comparing between these two pieces. It is not that you will become said thing. And this is again, something used in revelation when John writes that you see Jesus like these things, like, you know, fire in his eyes and, you know, his feet were like bronze. They were not actually those items. And you can even go further to say the word is merely a use in that framework, a descriptive word 
that is creating this imagery of how vibrant Jesus is in Revelation. But here, the word is simply just saying that you will have some features that are in comparison to the features that the angels have. And then he goes on to say here in verse 31 and 32 that the resurrection of uh, the dead is, then he's, have you not read what it is said to you by God? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He is a God of the living and not of the dead. Very important. The Sadducees have referred to Moses and Jesus does the same as he points to Exodus 3 uh, verses 6 and 15 to affirm the resurrection. God said, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Through Moses, at the time the patriarchs were long dead, God identifies himself as being their God. Only living people can have a God. Therefore, he is God of the living. And they are alive. Their souls are with him and their bodies will be raised on the last day. Now, this is quite important and will, will sting the Protestant mind here. When you die, your body dies. Your soul does not. When you die, your body physically dies. And this is, the, this is what has to happen in order for the resurrection to mean something. This flesh that we have now will, will, will cease to exist. It will decay and mold into the ground. And then will be destroyed when the earth is destroyed. The soul will go with Christ into eternal life. And then upon the day of the resurrection, we will be given the glorified body, what our bodies would be like without sin, illness, death, and all those other terrible things that come into the world. So between now and then, there are people who are alive in heaven. Oh, I know it's a shocker. Now, this is probably the most Catholic thing you will hear on this show, but people who say praying to Mary is terrible because Mary's dead, have a false understanding of what happens in eternal life. I, to the extent, would say that you are so infatuated with eternal life that you probably wouldn't pay attention to the things on earth. But I would also say that you have the ability to do so. But to pray to these people are is no different than saying, hey, John, please pray for me. I'm, you know, I got surgery on Thursday. I'd, I'd appreciate it. Or for us in the church, when we have a prayer list that we walk through every Sunday in the prayers of the church, and we pray for these individuals due to their illnesses and disabilities. So these people who are in heaven have the same capabilities as us. We can take our prayers and, you know, and pray, say, hey, Pray for me, you know, Grandma. I I miss you. I I hope you are doing well. You know, I'm praying to Christ just as much, but maybe since you're there with him, you can nudge him a little bit. You know, one of those things, right? Need an intercessor. We need somebody to take this to Christ, so Christ can take it to the Father, even though He knows our prayers and can take those to the Father Himself. Just as much as we pray on Earth for our friends and family, we pray to we can pray to those in heaven, and. I know that that's really going to sting a lot of Protestants because they don't like to hear that. Now, me personally, I don't pray to people in heaven. Um, I have family who have died, and you know, I know that they're enjoying eternal glory with Christ, and I pray to Christ. And I know that I have some Catholic listeners, and they pray to Mary as an intercessor to go to her son Jesus. I know that there are some who pray to the saints, and that's fine. Because the text is very explicit in saying that these individuals are not dead. 
if they were dead, they wouldn't have any voice in heaven. It's the same thing in Revelation when John sees the saints crying out, God, how much longer are you going to tolerate this? So the saints see the turmoil on earth, and I wouldn't be shocked if they could hear the, you know, the overwhelming prayers that are coming into heaven. And so it's interesting. We don't really have a good understanding of how that whole process works because we've never been to heaven and come back. I don't believe those books of, you know, journeys to the afterlife and coming back are real. I think they're all a bunch of baloney. So we don't have, you know, like the documented there and back again, like the Hobbit. So what we have in scripture is what we have. And what we see here is Jesus being very explicit to the Sadducees who have rejected the rest of the Old Testament and are mocking the resurrection. And Jesus quite explicitly states that he is a God of the living. He is not a God of the dead, but he is a God of the living. And that is probably the most profound verse when dealing with the resurrection. And one of the quite most profound verses when it deals with prayer and people in heaven. Now, like I said, if you, if you want to pray to those people, there's, you know, go for it. I mean, I don't know what it's going to get you. I, I, I personally don't do it, but I know I have some Catholic friends who, you know, will, will send prayers to Christ every morning and then they send prayers to Mary and they pray to the saints and they, um, will continue praying to Jesus. And so it's kind of like this big circle of prayers. And I don't see how that is much different than, you know, like I said, calling up your buddy, John and saying, pray for me, buddy. I need, I need some, some help. In fact, you know, I have a little group text and I'm with some other Lutherans and I sent a message in this morning. I said, pray for me because I, you know, and I explained the situation. I need some, I need some, you know, divinely guidance on this. And, you know, so what's the difference to saying, you know, Lord, hear my prayers, you know, and anybody in heaven who's listening, chime in too and, and, you know, help, help, uh, help a pastor out here. I don't know, but I don't generally make a habit of it myself. So don't, don't bring your pitchforks after me. I don't care. The verse says what it says. We serve a God who is the God of the living, not the dead. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and every single person thereafter is chilling out with God in heaven right now and is alive. Deal with it. That's what the text says. Have a wonderful day. That's where I'm going to leave it at. Again, I'm not defending the Catholic praying to Mary bit, but I do see that there is there is some some truth to it. I see I can see how there is some weight. In fact, I see how Mary does have some influence, you know, being the mother of God, being the mother of God the Son. And I think that is kind of well demonstrated at the wedding in Cana when Jesus makes water to wine. And you know, and then it's further demonstrated on the cross when he looks to John and says, now this is your mother. And John's duty then was to take care of Mary. It was his obligation and duty to look after her. So Mary has quite importance to the church and, you know, we, we should give her the proper recognition. We shouldn't shun her or cast her away and make these stupid idiotic statements that people do on social media that she's just dead and can't hear our prayers because she probably can't quite hear our prayers. And she's probably just not listening to you because your theology is whack. Just stating, stating the obvious. So that's, uh, <laughs> I probably just blew away half my, my listener base on that one. I don't really care. Um, I'm just, I'm just out picking fights with everybody and I'm doing it on Twitter. I'm doing it on Instagram. I just don't. I don't tolerate bad theology. And if the text says what it says, then it says what it says. 
And I think it's well for us to understand that there is some depth to it, right? To, to sum up uh, these verses here, Jesus vindicates Israel's resurrection hope by mas- masterfully interpreting the scriptures given to them through Moses. Dismissing the bodily resurrection denies the Lord who promises to raise us from the dead. The God who promises to bring life and immortality to light has fulfilled this promise by raising his son, our Lord Jesus Christ. So that is the that is the reality we face with the text, right? The God is the God of the living and not the dead, and we serve a God of the living and not the dead. And that is, to me, the greatest, greatest thing we as Christians can hold on to. So uh, that's going to take care of it for the show today, ladies and gentlemen. Thanks for tuning in. Tomorrow we'll have week six on uh, our Bible in a Year plan, and we are working through uh, the end of Exodus, I believe now, and into or uh, and into Leviticus. I think that is, yep. So we've got uh, a couple of days in Leviticus or a couple of days of Exodus, and then into Leviticus for next week. So we're moving right along, and uh, hope you guys are enjoying those shows. Like I said, they're just short, uh, kind of punctuated shows to draw your attention to a few passages here and there, and allow you to think through it. So. Hope you guys have a great week. I will see you all next Wednesday for our digging into the social media escapades that we will have. And Friday for the conclusion to chapter 22. Have a great week, guys. God bless. We'll see you all later. Bye.